Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. And today I am joined by Shane Stevens, marketing aficionado and host (laughs) of Style Scout for ET Canada. Thanks so much for joining me today, Shane. Thanks for having me. So this is a designer spotlight format, and you are the first non-designer proper to be here. So thank you so much. I think your story is really going to resonate with people who are interested in the fashion world but not being a designer per se. Right. Uh, so I'm not going to introduce you because that's what uh, what our chat today is all about. Right. So let's start at the beginning. Where were you born and what was your family like? That's a great question. I'm honored to be the first non-designer. Um, so I grew up in Winnipeg, um, rough and tumble prairie city that it is. Um, my dad was uh, a civil servant, worked with the Manitoba environment, uh, and wrote the uh, the Manitoba legislation for the environment. So now my mom was a stay-at-home mom who was this charismatic little woman that, um, you know, everybody in the community knew her. Everybody, um, uh, she worked uh, at the the local kind of food co-op, and, and I would go in there sometimes, and there'd be a lineup at her tail where she was the cashier one day a week. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And, and four other people working, and no one was in their lineup, right? So people would go and chat her up. And, and then I've got a, a sister who um, is three years younger. She is now... Um, uh, yeah, really growing into her own, doing some amazing things with the West End Cultural Center, which is a, a not-for-profit, um, well-known Winnipeg uh, band venue. So great bands have rolled through there for years. Uh, she's been winning some awards, which is really cool. I'm really proud of her for that, especially kind of in the marketing vein. And uh, and then my brother is a pastor at a church that we attended, um, that my parents still attend, which is uh, kind of funny because it's it's really full circle for him. So we've all gone very different. Well, I guess not so different directions, but uh, he definitely was the good kid that my parents love. And I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> what kind of kid were you growing up? What were you like in, in grade school? And, and how did you evolve into uh, your teenage years? Um, it's interesting. I, I, um, I was a good kid, I guess, to start out. Um, I had this... This, I walked this line where my family was very involved in church. So a lot of my growing up was tied to being at church all the time or a youth group. And so I had sort of strong beliefs and faith and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the other thing that I did was I played hockey. So I, I mean, I think... The first word apparently that came out of my mouth when I was a baby was Bobby Hall, which was watching TV. <laughs> uh, you know, I started skating when I was two. So I w- it was these two interesting worlds uh, that didn't really kind of uh, mesh well, I guess. So as a kid, I felt like I didn't really fit in because I kind of had my hockey, my hockey friends and my hockey uh, dreams and goals. And then I also had sort of the church thing, which I felt very, very strongly about. And and those two things, I didn't know how to put those things together. Um, so I kind of felt like um, I didn't really fit in anywhere. I kind of fit in in different things in different circumstances, but I never really was myself as one whole that kind of went through both of those areas. Um, so. Um, and what about after high school? What did you do when you finished that educational phase? Um, so after, so, you know, through high school was great through high school was interesting because it, I kind of came more into my own than sort of that elementary awkward kind of phase, uh, junior high. And then in uh, high school, I at 17, so in grade 12, I made junior hockey, which is sort of had been a dream of mine, uh, which is great for at, at that age. Um, it's a big deal for our, all our non-Canadian yeah, listeners. Your, yeah, exactly. Um, and so that was sort of a, a check off the box. And at that point I started to, 
to look outside of kind of what I'd grown up with and um, exper- experimenting more, I jokingly say, kind of with the secular world as opposed to the Christian one that I was <laughs> accustomed to. And uh, um, and then from there, I um, was really just working. Um, I, I went out to Whistler for... Uh, for after well i moved out to ontario played hockey and when hockey kind of ended i was left with a bit of a hole because i mean my whole life had been tied to playing and and hockey and the dreams that that you chase um and then when that kind of ended and i realized that that wasn't going to go any farther than than junior i ended up back in winnipeg and just kind of wasn't really sure what to do right um and winnipeg's an interesting place because it's it's one of those places that you kind of see and foresee yourself in a blue collar job or uh, there's not really much uh, from, you know, other than kind of some industry and blue collar stuff that goes on there or not at the time. So you kind of felt like you needed to get out of there um, or you stayed and then that was your life. And you got out? I got out. I, well, I got out a number of times. I mean, hockey got me out. Then I, I went out and a friend of mine, uh, his, we were going to move to LA. I was going to become an actor. I decided, and he was going to become a stunt man and all the wonderful people that we hung out with in the bars in Winnipeg sort of cheered us on in that dream. We were going to ride our motorcycles there. Uh, but I broke my leg. Um, and so when we were going to go, by the time my ankle was healed, uh, our motorcycle was way too cold. So we ended up, uh, he fell in love with a girl. We hitchhiked across Canada and ended up in Whistler. And uh, kind of to chase this love of his life that was now a snowboard instructor. And so I lived out there for a bit, uh, about a year, I guess a year and a half. And then I moved down to Vancouver and was getting kind of acting uh, roles and auditions there. And a motorcycle came up and available in Winnipeg. And so I went back to buy it and my dad cornered me and said, listen, this is not, you know, you're 22 years old at this point and, you know, you got to think about going to school and this sort of thing, get your life together, right? Which I now look back (laughs) and I'm like, holy cow, like... It's so young, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so I stayed. I stayed in Winnipeg. But I had met uh, in the last part of my time in Vancouver friends of mine that I knew from Winnipeg, one that was in journalism at Kwantlen College. And he and I had drinks one night, and I don't recall exactly why, but he read some stuff that I'd written, and I'd always kind of kept a journal and wrote poetry and stuff. My dad does. Um, and so he said, you know, you're a really good writer. And I kind of talked that in the back of my mind. And when I got back to Winnipeg, I rolled into Uptown, which was the Now magazine for those people that are in Toronto. Right, so like a free kind of like yeah, culture weekly. weekly. Culture weekly. Yeah. And I walked in and I ended up the one of the the woman that was the editor was a was a someone that I knew from high school and I said I want to be a writer, and she's like Oh my God! Like if I had a dime for everybody that's watching <laughs> yeah. the doors, you that. and everyone else exactly, who walks through yeah. these doors, give me some CDs. I'll listen. I'll print them if the, if your reviews are good. And I and uh, so I I wrote these these reviews um and they printed and then within i don't know maybe a month i was starting to write stories and then cover stories and covered like run dmc and public enemy and alice cooper and all these like i really got to do some cool stuff i was this little punk rock kid that um ended up covering like the hip-hop beat which is really interesting um and then one day i which have such similarities but that's a whole other conversation it's, it's, (laughs) it's actually scary the similarities um and then one day i uh People started to read stuff. So, you know, through network and whatnot, people were giving me articles to write in trade publications because Winnipeg is actually a real hub of trade uh, publishing companies. So I went in one day. I had a, I was taking like one class in university. Uh, I was like a professional style and editing class. And I went to drop off uh, the, e- the, e- the email was down that day. This is a long time ago. Um, and so I dropped off a, 
an article on disc and the guy behind the counter was like, oh my God, you're the bartender from Bartalia. I didn't realize you were the guy writing these articles. And I was like, yeah, hey, how's it going? I pretended I knew who he was. Yeah, small I did, world. Yeah. Why wouldn't you and, pretend uh, to yeah, know someone who knows to, you? Pretend yeah. to know him. And uh, he's like, listen, would you ever think about being an editor? And I was like, yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Sounds cool. And uh, the next day I walked, I, I came back for an interview the next day and I walked out with the job and about three months after that, I had been transferred to Toronto and I spent three, probably about three years here uh, working in the publishing arena as like an editor and then a senior editor for Canada. Moved back to Winnipeg, was writing. I got some award nominations, won a couple of awards for writing and then um, and then ended up uh, kind of waking up one day five years later and being like, what the fuck am I still doing here? Like that, that sort of, my grandmother had passed at that point, which was, I wanted to be back for her. You know, I, my sister had had my godson at that point. So the things I'd gone back for had happened, yeah. you know, and, uh, and it was time to get going again. So I, before I came back, a friend of mine through an ex-girlfriend said, <clears throat> can you come and help me throw a party for Peter Nygaard in the Bahamas? And talk a little bit about who Peter Nygaard is. So Peter Nygaard is a, is a, a, Canadian fashion designer, businessman, uh, and the company really caters to the to the moderate price point, upper age group, uh, women's wear. So, um, uh, in the process of going very and doing accessible, this event, very accessible, very yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Um, but a, a really interesting company in the fact that it's grown. It was carried at Saks Fifth Avenue back in the day. Like he was a legitimate player in the fashion scene for a number of years. Uh, not so much now, but but. The, had a lot of clout, um, and it was a huge company. I mean, you know, they all would they would always sort of say approaching a billion dollars. I mean, you can be at twenty thousand dollars and be approaching a billion dollars, but I'm approaching a billion dollars as yeah, we sit here. <laughs> but it was significant. It was significant numbers. Like, I mean, we did really, really big numbers. The dealer's account was like in the hundreds of millions. So, um, so in the process of going down to do this event, I met Tina Tulacorpi, who was then the director of marketing, um, who really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I'd never thought about marketing before. I was going to go back and I, I did come back to Toronto to get back into sort of the publishing realm and the restaurant kind of magazines. Um, but Tina always kept on me and kept on me and kept on me, had great conversations. And eventually I, uh, I said yes. And I was at Nygaard for a total of seven years. I was a marketing manager, moved up to director of marketing. I guess what the title was, I think, director of majors, marketing and media relations. And, and really, Tina became my mentor and, and she was, has been instrumental to everything that's, that's come my way because she had such an amazing focus on collaboration well before collaboration was even an important thing. I mean, today it's everybody's collaborating and that's what everybody's doing. But Nygaard back in like early 2000, you know, late nineties was collaborating with Nokia and stuff like, yeah. you know, and so she really, she taught me the fundamental tenets of marketing um, basically on the Nygaard dime because I had no school schooling, which was really kind of great. Uh, and I learned a ton and I learned all these really important lessons that then I would take on to, to, uh, to Holtz and then to Sachs. So I want to dig into those, um, for sure. But before, before we go there, I just want to backtrack to your younger self for a minute. Yeah. Um, what, what did clothes mean to you? Was, were, were, were clothes something that you, you know, put on yourself consciously growing up? Did the, did you have a certain style? What was, what, 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 what relationship did you have with the, uh, with the garments in your closet growing up? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have memories of, of random items, like my first pair of Converse weapons that were orange and white or a pink leather tie or my grad suit that was olive and purple. And, um, 
and when I look back on that stuff, like a pair of purple Converse, I realized that there was a little bit of uh, eccentricity, I guess, in the stuff that I liked. But I think that my relationship with the clothes has evolved over the years where in the beginning I, I use it to fit in. Like I said, I... I was so involved in church and I was so involved in hockey that I was really like kind of a jock, but I just never really felt like I fit in because those two things didn't, I wasn't able to put them together. So I feel like clothing in the beginning was a thing that I did to fit into tribes. So a root shirt or the sneakers or whatever, they were like my quiet entrance into a group of people um, that, that at least I would kind of be cool. So I used it for that um, yeah, in, in a, a very insecure way, you know, right? yeah, in a very insecure way in the beginning. And then, as I got a little bit older and I started to figure out kind of who I was and what I represented and, and what I believed in, um, I went through kind of more phases of like doing stuff because I liked it, but also kind of to make, to stand out. So I went through a rockabilly phase with Pompadour and like white t-shirts looking like 50s greasers and jeans and Ryan riding old Triumph motorcycles and um, and wearing creepers and all this stuff. And it was it was awesome. I mean, and but it in itself was also an entrance into a tribe and a different group of friends and whatnot. Um, but that was more of a standout thing than it was uh, a thing to fit in. And then I think I'm at the point, obviously now, um, I think we joked earlier, a friend used to say that at 40, you stop believing your own bullshit, um, where I'm at that point, And now it's a matter of, I just wear what I want. I had what I like, I know I'll wear. Uh, so I pick the things I like and I pair them with what I feel like. And it would be interesting if we could go back in time and have that lens on our younger selves, yeah. like where we we do tend to use clothes as a way to stand out or fit in. Not that that's not how we use them now, but yep. I think it has a very different intention when you're yeah. at that like tender ages where you're trying to find your place totally. in the world. Yeah, I think it's, it's very true. I mean, now I go to my closet and I pull out what I want to wear. Plain and simple. I don't really give much thought to like what it's going to, how I'm going to portray, how it portrays me or anything. I just, I like that. You know, if I buy sneakers online, I'm the guy that has to open them that day and wear them. If I, you know what I mean? So I just buy what I like and I wear what I like. But back then, you know, I remember getting the Converse cons and they didn't have the color I wanted. I think I wanted red and there was only the orange and white. So I bought them and I remember thinking like, oh my God, look at these ones too crazy. You know? So there was like a real... There was something there that I was nervous about, you know, maybe they are too crazy. How much attention is it going to call to me? And then years down the road, I wanted the attention. I covered myself in tattoos. I like, you know, we were always in the gym. I wanted to be the rockabilly. You want to be a little tough guy, you know? So you went through kind of that phase. And then now, thank God, all that stuff is, both of those are gone yeah. now. And now I can just kind of be who I am and wear what I want. So it's kind of Well, nice. and we'll share your Instagram handle at the end so people can see your awesome <laughs> yeah, great, style. Because yeah. you really do dress in a amazingly eccentric and confident way, which is why I, so this is my entry back to Nygaard yeah. because I cannot think of a more polar brand <laughs> for, for you to be getting your feet wet yeah. in the, in the fashion industry. Like it's a, as you were saying, like an incredibly well-respected company, but from a, an, an aesthetic and style point of view, I mean, women's wear off the top, but it's so, not who you described that you were or who, you know, you are in present day. What was it like working in in an, in a company where, you know, the, the fashion was not part of your your tribe? I think it, in some ways it was really good because I couldn't I couldn't let my personal likes impact the decisions that I was making as a marketer. So it really taught me that you needed to understand the demographic and figure out ways to resonate with that demographic. And because it had no sneakers or no menswear or anything that I really dig, 
I had to think about what does a 50, 60-year-old woman at this part in her life, what is going to resonate with her? What type of eventing does? What type of marketing is going to be great for her in store? Like, what's the experience that she's going to want? Like, so I think it was actually really important for me to step outside myself to learn what marketing was. Um, Because, you know, over the years, when I sit down with people, they're so influenced by what they like, you know? Well, and we get drunk on our own Kool-Aid. Like, I'm just thinking, what an incredible boot camp education you got. Totally. Because I think so often we can get precious about it. And it's like, oh, if I'm going to work in fashion, then I have to really embody, you know, the brand that I'm working for. And it's wonderful when that happens. But it's not a luxury you always have. That's the end goal. I mean, the end goal, which I've been lucky to kind of to get into, is the stuff where it does overlap with my interests and my network and the things that I think are culturally relevant and, and cool. So, but that I couldn't find anything that I was into that was that would fall and would resonate with that category. It also taught me though to talk to anybody. You know, I come from a bit of a rough and tumble past where, um, like, I'm as good talking to to people that are like in trouble or in gangs and whatnot as I am now with like 80 year old women that I would chat with for 20 minutes while they were pushing a cart around a store on a store visit right so um it was a really it was a really formative important time my time with Tina just her um like seeing in me the potential for marketing the what she taught me her kind of her like generosity and graciousness through my learning because really like you're in Toronto you don't need to take on some 25 26 or whatever I don't remember how old I was you know year old kid that doesn't know anything hasn't gone to school and knows nothing about marketing i never thought about it there was a lot of learnings you know a lot of things that i did wrong but she was really great and always sort of pushing me to be and to learn and to do better and stuff so it was a hugely uh, important time uh for me uh because i learned so much about marketing what Um, were some of the key things that you're like oh if i hadn't learned it there like are there, you know, stories that kind of embody something where you're like, oh, that was a lightning bolt right there? I think it's more like I learned collaboration there. Like I said, I think that was that was the key kind of learning from from that place was always looking to partner with other brands that have, you know, the the, the ability to give you inroads into new communities of people in the demographic that you're reaching out to, right? So I learned that was a really big thing for me. And um, and I've used that throughout every other job I've had. Um, and to this day, now that the world has gone collaborative in fashion, I love it. It's fun for me to watch this kind of stuff. Like I'm in my phone right now as the Palace Ralph Lauren collection drops on Friday. Right. And I've got it so that I can try and get pieces. Right. But that's two brands you never think would go together. And that's so I learned I, I learned important lessons there. There's nothing really that sticks out you know, at the top of my mind as like a, as like a, oh my God moment. Um, but I did do, um, there was a foot traffic driving agenda, which was the fucking worst thing in the world. I had to be in Vaughn at the store every morning, like on Fridays, Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, something like that. Like the worst timing ever, but I got to learn what every single media outlet in Toronto truly drove in foot traffic to a specific demographic. You know, like, yeah, so well, there was to have the attitude to be OK with that, like that speaks volumes to, you know, a real, you know, attitudinal purpose that helps people with their careers. Right. Like yeah. if you're not willing to do like the really crappy jobs, you then you got to do your time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy now about, 
you know, the, the entitlement of a lot of, and listen, I don't want to be the guy that's like, okay, I'm at a certain age, so I'm bitching about yeah, entitlement. Careful. But You're in like a rocking yeah. chair with a shotgun, yeah. Shane. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's true. Like, I can't believe sort of the entitlement that I've seen moving into like position at Saks and then dealing with like associates or Holtz and dealing with associate. Like it, it, it's crazy where nobody really wants to put the effort in and everybody feels that they're owed something. Whereas like back in the day, if Nykaard color coded its emails. So like if you got something from like a vice president, it came in like, it was like red. Right. And if it came from like your director was teal. And if it came from like a, someone that was on your level, it was like green. And like you, if a red email came through, or if a or if your teal came through, like that became priority, yeah, right? Alert, it was actually alert, a brilliant. <laughs> it was actually a brilliant thing, right? You prioritize. You said how high. Now, like, I've had conversations with people mm-hmm. that aren't even close to the same level as a decision maker, but I'll send an email and they won't even read it, right? Because and they'll complain to their manager that I sent them an email. I know, I know. Anyways, at the risk of topic. sounding yep. like Rick Mercer in a rant, <laughs> let's bring it back to to Shane Stevens. So from Nygaard, <laughs> you moved to Holt Renfrew. Yes. So from accessible you know, often found in the suburbs, yep. women's wear to the grand dam, certainly at that time, it could be argued now of luxury wear in Canada. Yeah. What was that transition like? Uh, it was awesome. I mean, I was wanting to sink my teeth into something where I could actually have some of my interests involved. And so the fact that there was menswear was a huge plus. The fact that there was, it was luxury. I wasn't dealing with sort of the moderate price point in uh, the Hudson Bays, the the Zellers, that, those types of retailers, but into like legitimate brand, like not that it's not a legitimate brand, no, but, but like big it's a different designer sandbox. brands. It's a different events. sandbox to yeah. play in. So that was, that was really cool for me. And it was the first place where I really got to take my ideas and my understanding of uh, like pop culture and my network that I was building as sort of someone that was going down to New York to go to the menswear shows and stuff. Um, and you did that of your own kind of I did of that kind of my own, yeah. I started to go down and do that stuff just to check it out because it was something that I really wanted to understand and get to uh, get to know better. And it worked out phenomenally because the people that I met and the relationships that I built were all things I was able to then bring into uh, into Holtz. And, and the whole plan there was the flagship at Bloor was not doing well, was down significant dollars to the year prior. There was a new GM, James Watt from Nordstrom that had come in. Great, great guy. And and he sat down and said, listen, we got to turn this ship around. How are we going to do that? And we identified a few areas to do that. We moved the the Now Shop, which was a concept that they had at York uh, Dale, no, York, yeah, Yorkdale Mall, that didn't make sense in a suburban kind of framework. So we moved it downtown and I started to work with the buying team to bring in brands that we could hang carrots with and started throwing bigger events. And Holtz had really cut the eventing budgets uh, at that point. So, so you um, came in as a fixer a little bit. In a way. I mean, I, I came in as a marketing manager, but ultimately it was it was to help and, and to do my part on the team to fix what was not doing well. And we did some amazing things. And, um, you know, it was, it was a huge learning experience for me because uh, that level, that jump from a Nygaard to a Holtz, uh, I hired uh, a marketing manager that reported to me, Gurpreet, who has been kind of like phenomenal for me. I mean, I took, I brought her with me from Holtz to Saks. Uh, so that relationship was built there. Um, the understanding of the luxury brands a little bit, you know, like the education that comes with that, the understanding of what it is to work in, uh, you know, with the associates and what that, those weird kind of power structures look like in retail. Uh, and then that also that the difference between corporate and 
store level was also very interesting in, in the consensus building to get your ideas passed. And uh, that was one of the things ultimately that I was having a hard time with because we started doing all these things that were really resonating. And there was a buzz around Holtz again, and it was like we did some great stuff. And Sachs started to reach out, you know, asking a few questions about that. And uh, and then I went and had a conversation one day with the team and at corporate and said, listen, like, what's our What's, what are we doing with Saks coming to town? And there was yeah, because Saks was an intro. This is the we're talking about Saks pre-launching. Yeah, pre-launch in Canada, in Canada. So they were building their team, and they reached out to me, and I went to the the team that was there at Holtz at the time, and they're not there anymore, and sort of asked what the strategy was, and it was clear that there wasn't a strategy, a comp- like a, a sort of a defense strategy against it, and uh, and then that was when I made the decision to to jump on board with Saks. So I went down to New York and. Um, well, and what I think is interesting and... about that is you you went from working within a very um, established brand that was trying to improve something that already existed to still working with a very established brand, but now you're you're building something from scratch. You're yeah. launching something completely new. Was that part of the appeal, like having that new challenge of we have never been here before? For sure, the challenge and and. I love Holtz. Like I've always loved Holtz. I remember saving up to buy Tom Ford fragrance, you know, like, Oh yeah. I mean, Beauty's the entryway you know? for sure. So <laughs> I remember like that and I love the brand, but, but the fact that Saks Fifth Avenue has, is like the luxury retailer with international kind of appeal and such a storied history. And, and I couldn't not jump in it. I knew it would be a, a successful venture for sure. Um, but it was just, to bring something to the country was such an, an interesting experience and it was a huge challenge, you know? Um, so I, I, I couldn't not, I love challenge. I can't, I need to always be progressing. So that was the right thing. And I was finding too much pushback on things that we were doing. And the fact that there was no strategy and no defense strategy was like, well, then absolutely. I'm going to go and bring this place in and I mean, we're going to kill it, you know? And, and thankfully, cause it was a lot of, yeah, <laughs> a lot it was of a our ideas that we had to launch. sell up. It was the <laughs> number one launching company history. So, um, well, and yeah. things I, as you're talking, things that are coming to mind are t- are twofold. Is one that as you're talking about, even even back when you were talking about hockey, but especially with Nygaard, Holtz, even publishing actually, is you are you immerse yourself. Like you're you're in the store, you're talking to the writers, you're like you are immersed in the entire organization. And mm-hmm. I think there's such a level of um, insights and education that can come from that. And combined with that is a, a friend of mine who's a, a business professor. She has this term called an intrapreneur, right. which is like when you're an entrepreneur, but, but you're within an organization. So you're an intrapreneur. Yeah. And, and I, I, he, I hear so much, so much in how you're talking that those two things, I could see that being true for you. Does that, does that sure. resonate? It's a great way to, to put it. Um, probably to my benefit and detriment. How so? Um, I think, you know, I, I believe very strongly in the things that I strategize. There's deep kind of reasoning and rationale to do the things that I, that my team and I put together to do. So I'm really attached to them and I really, I really fight for them. Um, but I'm also not someone that, that really cares too much for the bullshit. Like I don't, I don't want to sit in meetings all day and have no decisions made. Yeah. Like don't Let waste the my time. Let like, my results. Yeah, you, you hire me to do something. Let me do it. Cause I'll do it. You know, that's always sort of been the way that I've that I've been. So um, and that is great 
from a high level strategic perspective, but you know, if it, if it's a whole lot of execution, then it's probably not the greatest thing. But, um, but I for sure have operated that way. Our team has, has often acted sort of in, in a silo to get our job done. Right. Um, one of the things that, that, um, you know, later on at Saks was really, how do we now work out of it? It was such an intense, like launching those stores was such an intense thing that we were all siloed. And then it was really, you can't be siloed. So now how do you, spread out and and have like your meeting because there are it's important but there's just so much in corporate structure that doesn't need to be happening like well and having that kind of intense experience it's like playing on a sports team or being part of a of a theater production yeah. where you are like literally see each other more than you do anybody see totally. your coworkers more than more than anybody else yeah. you have mentioned teams a lot tell me about Tell me about what what it takes to make a great team, both as like being a team member, mm -hmm. but also in terms of team leadership. Because I I hear you mentioning the importance of teams consistently through your career. I think like teams are really important because, like you said, you spend all day with these teams, and in, in retail specifically, or any like fashion, it seems um, you are like there's openings and they're like there's it's really intense time, right? So you have to have people around you that you can then that you gel with so that it's almost like family. So the teams that that I've been able to put together, they've always kind of felt like family. Um, but I try and when I'm building a team, hire the people that I think will do the job, but that also will make sure that any area that I may have as opportunity, uh, they are strong in because I think if it's too many people that just end up being the same, then it's just a bunch of friends at work and there's always going to be stuff that falls through the cracks. But if I've strategically picked a team that is like, it's with me as a leader, especially then here are my strengths. And those are the key things because I'm here for a reason and I need to be able to do them where I might be not as strong. I want the people next to me to be strong in so they can help me along. Right. And I love that. If we're all the same, we're just friends at work. Yeah. <laughs> You know, awesome. and nothing's gonna get done, and <laughs> and so then it's a matter of of uh, like hanging the carrot to 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 um to them, like finding out what you know they're passionate about, what component of the job they love, and trying to give projects within that so that they feel that they're learning and growing and whatnot. So, um, yeah, the team that I put together for Sachs was awesome. I mean, like Stefan who hired me. Uh, was was awesome and let me choose the marketing team and and Sharad and Gurpreet did a, a wonderful job in in uh, in sort of helping to ideate and helping to steer the ship but also in in the execution part which um, I like to fly at a bit of a higher level I don't mind being around shaking hands and kissing babies at at uh, the events but <laughs> I don't I'm not one that anymore really wants to be carrying uh, trays of of food around so yeah it's a bit of a well, and now you've got a new kind of team because now mm -hmm. you're in front of the camera. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Style Scout. What sure. is what is what is it about, and how did it come to be? So Style Scout um, came about, interestingly enough, at a CAFA event. Basically, Jesse Barkley from ET Can and I uh, were seated together. We'd seen at each other at you tons never know of events. Who you're going to be yeah, sat exactly. beside. Um, we had seen each other a billion times at a billion events, said hello, but had never really talked. And sort of as we sort of had our first glass of wine, um, talked a little bit about what he did and what I was doing. And, man, is there any way we can collaborate? What can we do? Have you ever been on camera? And at that time, there had been someone that approached me 
um, like a couple years prior before I, I think right around when I started Saxer before to maybe host something that they were pitching to Vice. And so there was like this little demo reel done and, uh, and Vice had put all the money sort of that season into food. So they were like, come back next year and like, maybe we'll look at fashion, you know, but fashion's a tough sell when it comes to advertising. So, so then, uh, Sax got full, fully going and then, uh, everybody at that place left. So when the year came around, I didn't even know who to call anymore. So I was like, well, that's not happening told Jesse that story. He said, well, what was the idea? And I was like, well, it's kind of like, it's a lifestyle thing. And I would go to a different city and, you know, travel lifestyle. And he was like, oh my God, that's great. But it's what if like we did Anthony this? kind of like Anthony Bourdain, but through the fashion lens, yeah. not the food lens. Yeah, like totally. in a way, right? In a way, like, yeah. Or in a, in for sure in a lifestyle way. It includes, it includes food. So I like, like, I always joke, like by the time the coffee came around, we had the idea baked and, uh, and Jesse kind of took it away and we kept in touch for probably about six months. And then about six months later, he phoned and was like, man, I got some really interesting research. We really do want to make this foray into like having a YouTube series. There's for sure is this hole in the marketplace for like lifestyle content. So I agree. And uh, we started working to it, uh, towards it. So um, it probably took a year from when we, when we first sat at lunch together to when we were in Chicago shooting the first episode. And um, yeah, we've over the summer, we shot Chicago, Jamaica, Paris, um, all three are up on YouTube now on the ET Canada YouTube channel. And uh, they've been doing really, really, really well. There's such varied locations. Yeah. I love that combination of Europe, U.S., Caribbean. Yeah. Like, I think that's really, I don't know if it was strategic or not, but I think it's fascinating. I think it is. I mean, the whole concept is really that that every city has its own style and not even like fashion style. It's it's really, it has its own thing that's going on. And um Every city's culturally relevant for a reason. So we want to go and find that, kind of what that city's style is. Like Paris, it made sense to meet with Davide Morello, who's now got his new line, who'd been at Gucci and Armani. And it made sense to hang out with Christine from Christine and the Queens. And um, because those are things that are really like instrumental to their fashion and Paris go hand in hand. But 100%. Jamaica, not so much fashion, but we were able to do some really cool stuff, you know, like at GoldenEye or, you know. So I think yeah. every place has really interesting things that you won't even know about if you don't know people that live there or have the inside scoop. So we kind of leverage our relationships and our network to find the inside scoop on a place and then go and take a look at what's bubbling there. You, you know? immersed yourself. Yeah, again. I guess so. I guess so, right? <laughs> it doesn't feel like immersion because it's only we're there for like four days or five days, so it's a pretty rushed experience. But it's but... still an intense like dive in, right? Like, yeah, for sure. You're trying to get like a bit deeper than just the surface that everybody yeah. kind of thinks of. Yeah, because I don't want to go to a city and go and do what the guidebooks say. I want to go to a place and I want to like, if I go to Nashville, I want off the beaten path. You know, like the best thing that ever happened to me, I was in Nashville for work. And I got into a cab one time and this guy was like, and this is hilarious. Like I'm wearing like guy liner and I'm all like punk rock kid out. And it's like, I've been sitting in the country bars, drinking Budweiser, watching the, you know, and I, this cab driver goes, dude, have you been to the red door? And I was like, no, nah, man, I never even heard of it. And he goes, let me, do you trust me to take you somewhere? And I'm like, sure, yeah. whatever, here we go. You find me in a trusting mood. <laughs> walk in, I walk into this bar and all I hear is you're from Winnipeg. <gasps> and it's the bartender yelling at me across the room. And it happens to be a girl who I, I guess I was bartending in Winnipeg and she like was a waitress with like on our team. And then, uh, That's she met awesome. a guy and moved to Nashville. And so like, I spent three days basically closing that place and going and doing a bunch of great stuff. So i learned so much cool stuff about Nashville and had the time of my life because someone in the know took me to a place where they thought that, that I should go. 
and uh, and that's kind of what we're just trying to do with these cities and uh, it's not well, always and just I think like it's emblematic it's... of how you've of your of your career trajectory. Yeah, like, so. you know, like I think, you know, not to get too like twee about it, but, the you know, life imitates in the in the spirit of life imitates art, like who we are. Yeah. We can see in how we have progressed ourselves in our careers. For sure. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when we were talking earlier, you talked about how. One of the, because I asked you what some of your core strengths were, you right, thought right. that got you through, and uh, I've decided your uh, autobiography should be called uh, "Gangsters and Grandmas" because, yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> you talked about how you can talk to anybody, and I think that's such an underestimated skill and and thought thoughtfulness as we move through life and and careers, especially. What are some? What's what's another like, you know, strength or muscle or way about you that you think has has been important to you know your your success to sound kind of like all give us some career advice Shane but I think <laughs> I think I think there are people listening who'd be like oh my god Shane Stevens has had the best career ever like how That's do I true. do that because you've been blessed with really varied experiences right yeah I don't I mean um I've been I'm really thankful because of I like I said earlier like if I if you had taken the 16, 17-year-old hockey player guy and told him that this would be the career I'm in or the stuff I've done, I wouldn't have even believed it. So I'm I'm really blessed and thankful to to be kind of where I am. Um, Advice-wise, I don't know. I mean, I think you just have to, in some ways, go with your gut, but you need to be strategic. And I think that, that any of those silly tests I've ever taken for any company is always like, my strategy's off the charts. Um, and then I'm like low on a bunch of different areas, right? Yeah. And so I have always, I think in everything I've done, been very strategic and very focused on an objective or an end goal. And so I always try and keep that in mind. But I also look on, I'm kind of on the bright side guy. So I try and never rule anything out if there is a potential to to benefit from it. So I think like, I think you need to be strategic and you need to kind of just go with the flow and hustle hard and and good things tend to come, you know, maybe not for everybody. There, there needs to be, uh, there needs to be an element of talent for sure. And there needs to be, you know, an element of charisma and, and things that get people even talking to you. And, yeah. but I think that if you have those things, you need to, you need to kind of just be out and about and, and hustling hard and then taking every meeting and, and, trying to strategize the ways to make things work because it's really easy to look at the glass being half, half, I guess, empty, empty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When the truth is you can, you can take things from it that are actually going to be hugely beneficial to your, to your career. And what's next for Shane? It's what's on question. the horizon? Uh, well, Style Scout clearly is, is something that we're pretty excited about. Um, so we're working on the next, uh, the next episodes of that. Um, and then I'm really lucky. Like I, I'm in a place right now where I've decided I don't want to do stuff I don't care about. I don't want to work on things that I'm not interested in. Uh, I don't need to, which is great. But I'm, like I said, I get, I have to be moving. I have to be continually progressing. So I'm doing a lot of consulting right now, which has been a lot of fun. And in, in numerous different areas, not just fashion and not just retail. And I'm just trying to decide, you know, does my life look like that? Does it look consulting or does it go more corporate with a bit of a side hustle? Like, so it's been a really interesting time because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the future does hold. But, um, but the nice thing is that there's lots of opportunity and I've, I've got great people in my corner and that, that I know that. that you never uh, know who out. you'll sit beside who might yeah, be exactly. the next, <laughs> I'm, always the next gonna, I'm always saying yes to a capital lunch because <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll end up on TV or something. <laughs> 
Shane, thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about you or they want to like see Style Scout, where can they find you and where can they find that? Style Scout, they can follow the Instagram account. That's Style Scout Series. Uh, all the episodes are on ET Canada's website and ET Canada's YouTube channel. And then people can follow me, just Shane Stevens, Shane with a Y, Stevens with a PH on Instagram. That's the easiest way to, to see what's going on. And we'll have all of these on the Fashion Talks website, which is fashiontalks.ca. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. A big thank you to CAFA, our producing partner with this podcast. And you can find out more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards at CAFA Awards. That's C A F A W A R D S. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our, our episode, and I hope you did, uh, please help us get the word out there by sharing on social. And if you're inclined to give us a high five on iTunes and subscribe either uh, on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher, please do. It really, really helps other people find the podcast. And if you have an idea for Fashion Talks or if there's a podcatcher we're not on, please email us at hello at fashiontalks.ca. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks.